This is episode 30 of Behind the Yellow Line, a baseball podcast with Jeremy Spector and Randall J. Sanders, Ronan O'Shea. A bit of a somber show here, boys. Uh, trade deadline has come and gone, and we've got a whole different ball club on the north side of Chicago. And now the last couple of weeks, we've been speculating what's going to happen with Anthony Rizzo and Craig Kimbrell and Javier Baez and Chris Bryant and many, many other names. Well, pretty much all of them are gone. They've been traded by the Cubs. A whole new look here on the Major League roster, a completely revamped minor league system, and that's the game plan today. We're not really going to talk about the Major League squad right now, uh, upcoming games or anything like that. We really just want to focus on this trade deadline. Uh, Before we get into specific names and prospect ranks and players, uh, Randall, that was a pretty dramatic week for Cubs fans. Uh, A lot of our heroes on the diamond are no longer in Cubs home white uniform uh, how are you feeling with the news of all these guys hitting the road well that sucked that that was easily one of the worst days as a fan in recent history maybe even complete history that sucked it was brutal jeremy a lot of names we've seen some of the all-time greatest cubs in the grand scheme of things when we talk about chris bryan and anthony rizzo they're up there with so many greats it was a tough week for us cubs fans to see all these stars go yeah, it was surprising, or not surprising. I must say it was it was sad. Uh, it it was tough, you know. But it was, just, it was surprising to me when you or shocking to me when you see Anthony Rizzo gets traded on a, I believe Thursday, and that that yeah. really kind of kicked it off, you know, with uh, to the Yankees. And then once that happened, he kind of knew that everybody else was going to go. Like if they're getting Rizzo, there's nobody else is staying. And at that point, it it uh, you know, cascaded down. Although I, it was a little surprising that we went so long without hearing that Brian was going until right till the deadline. But uh, yeah, it was sad. It's tough. You know, anytime you have to tear, you know, tearing down a championship team, maybe the best era in Cubs history. Uh, it's brutal. But uh, Jed made the decision. You know, he said, don't let a crisis go to waste. And this is the decision that had to be made. The Cubs are not making the playoffs this year. So he tore it down and try. Hopefully we'll see how the future goes. These guys largely on expiring contracts are going to be free agents. We're going to talk more even down the road about Anthony Rizzo and Javier Baez. Could they possibly be coming back to Chicago once free agency gets going here at the end of the season? We're going to have a lot of weeks and months to talk and speculate about that. Um, I think the important thing here today is let's talk about the return. Let's sort of look ahead with the Chicago Cubs team. We've been fans of this team for a very long time. Uh, Jeremy, you and I were talking back at the beginning of this podcast, 20 years. You and I have been going to games. We've seen a lot of 90 lost seasons in 20 years of watching this team. So look, we've been through rebuilds. We've seen some bad Cubs baseball and you know what? The next two months are going to be pretty brutal. But there's a lot of reason for optimism. And one of the important things the Cubs have done here is they've propelled themselves into the top 10 now in farm systems in Major League Baseball. And they've got a lot of money to spend, money coming off the books, money that's now off the books looking ahead to next season. Uh, But let's talk about these prospects a little bit. Since the U Darvish trade, which, of course, didn't happen to the trade deadline, that really started over the winter and kicked off really this selling of top Cubs players the Cubs have added 18 new top 60 prospects, a whole bevy in the top 10 as well. A new number two, number three, number four, number seven, number 10. So lots of excitement here. We're going to get into these names here in a minute. But Jeremy, one of the things the Cubs needed to do as they looked at a rebuild here was restock the farm. Just a couple of years ago, bottom third in the league, right now top third. It's been a nice jump here and really a quick amount of time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I, I just want to point out, I, I believe you're citing the Fangraphs rankings. Yes. There. Um, just to say, and and I think they've done some some other you know places have have uh haven't quite done like MLB.com. Uh, they're just kind of sliding guys, and they haven't really ranked guys yet at the midseason. Baseball America's been releasing their midseason updates as this goes on, and we'll see how when they come out with the Cubs, what that's going to be like. But you're right, you know. And one thing that's interesting to me is for the majority of these trades, including the Darvish trade, uh they kind of focused on young kind of raw unpolished players that have lots of upside, but a lot of development. And so when you get a, and you're saying right now, you know, fan has them as the number nine farm system, but a lot of that is based on guys that aren't proven or, or are, are just very raw and haven't, they're not top level guys in terms of they're close to big leagues or finished products. So they're really, there's a lot of upside there. It, it's number nine now, but like if some of these guys pan out and, they got a lot of these guys, um, a, a big volume of them. So, you know, I was listening to Eric Langenhagen uh, talking about this the other uh, yesterday or today, and he was saying, you know, they have this huge collection 
of raw kind of unbolded talent. But like when you get so many of these guys, not everyone's going to pan out. That's not going to happen. But you expect, you know, maybe two of them pan out and become stars or three possibly, or maybe it's just one. But even if it's one, that's a huge deal. So you're you're just getting so many of these guys. So there's a lot of upside there and a lot of um, potential for that farm ranking system to move even higher once some of these guys start moving their way through the upper minors, you know. So it's it's interesting. It's an interesting thing because, you know, something that happened with the Darvish trade, and I think Jed said this, is teams aren't really – they don't want to move their top guys. I mean, we saw some no. get moved, but those were for big trades like Scherzer and Turner. Um, they don't want to move their top guys. Nobody wants to move top 100 prospects anymore. So if you focus on guys that are farther away, younger, raw, you can kind of get some high-end talent before they become those top guys. Like, So it's an interesting focus to, to try to get them early. Um, so I don't know. It's an interesting kind of, you see it for almost all of every trade the Cubs made with the exception, of maybe the Kimbrell trade. Uh, they really kind of focused on these high end raw talents, you know, and when you're looking at raw talent, high end, but young players with a lot of uncertainty, things could not go right. The best example of it in recent years would be Fernando Tatis Jr. Who mm-hmm. the White Sox sent to San Diego. If the Cubs have anybody close to that of these right. young guys, it's going to be very good in a couple of years. So, and it could be going that way. Um, Randall, I know you're hurting seeing these great players go, but you've got to be excited about at least where this farm is going. You know, it's a little like the draft all over again. You know, they say you can't really judge a draft until two or three years after the players have begun playing in your system. And it feels a little bit like that. Jeremy made the point that a lot of these guys are still pretty young, a ball. They're still very raw, but the talent is there. And, you know, as they start to pan out, as these guys start making it to double a and maybe even to triple a and maintain their, their, their numbers and their talent level, you'll probably be feeling a whole lot better about these trades. But the issue is that could be two or three seasons off. And so you're asking people to wait for the salve for their wounds for two or three seasons. And that's, that's a difficult ask. Um, and it also requires trusting this front office right now. And I, you know, I don't want to say that that's in short supply, but it's, it can be difficult right after they've, they've ripped your heart out and they've said, this is for the better. It can be real difficult to turn around and say, okay, we, we trust that your scouting and your ability to evaluate players is going to make this feel better in a couple of years. So you, of course, are correct. They've done a great job of rebuilding the farm system, revamping the top 10 in their system. Uh, it, it, it just, the way, it, the, the way it all went down, the way it, it came about, it, it, that's not the, uh, the painkiller that you would necessarily like right now. It just makes it difficult to swallow. Yeah, I, I just would say um, a couple of things. One is I don't necessarily know what the plan is in terms of like, are we talking to the three seasons or could we, you know, just because they acquire all these talent, they're all raw young talent doesn't mean that they're waiting on all these guys to come up. Like they, these could be trade chips in the future. Like part of the reason why you want to stock your farm system is not just so that you're, you're banking on guys, but also because that means like, let's say you need a finished piece. You can go out and get somebody. You Jeremy, can make that trade. That's very true. Uh, the Dodgers trading for Max Scherzer and Trey Turner uh, just this past week and trading for Mookie Betts the, the season prior, that was done in part with prospects they got in getting rid of a whole bunch of pieces to Cincinnati uh, an off season or two ago. So you are of course, correct. Not all of these players will play for the Cubs. Uh, a number of them will probably be polished up enough to use them as trade chips for another big piece in the next year or two. So you are of course, correct. We could see returns on a lot of these trades sooner versus later. You know, it's just one of those things where there's all the logic in the world saying it should be this, and you just can't quite get yourself to the point of feeling that way yet. And in, in, in my defense, it's only been uh, a weekend since this all went down. And, you know, some things take a little longer to heal. But, you know, I, I agree. They, they did a great job of getting returns. Some of them felt a little light, but a lot of them felt like they were better returns than you would have been expecting. So it probably evens out to doing pretty well across the board. And, and the other thing I just want to say is I, I know we could all debate what led up to this situation. And we all probably have our opinions, strong opinions, you know whether or not ownership did enough to keep some of these guys around, whether or not they did enough to add some of the things, you know, in previous years to keep this window open, whether or not some of the front office decisions made were made, you know, signing some big contracts that didn't work out. You know, there are a lot of things that happened and that a lot of people did to get to this point. You know, Jed came out today and saying, you know, we made some offers to these guys and 
Some of them didn't even, you know, counter offer to us. So who knows who, on what, 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 who's on what. But like, I think when you get to the situation where you have your 10 games out, right? If you're just looking at the situation, what was the situation on July 30th, July 31st? You're 10 games out. Obviously, talks with these guys seemingly were going nowhere. Um, they're not coming back, at least in terms of an extension that we know of. I think this is a decision that had to be made. Like, if you're going to start selling, you got to sell. And honestly, I could have seen it go further. And I know I've been the one this whole time being like, oh, I don't want. But like at that point, once you start trading everybody, to me, it's like trade everybody like Wilson, Kyle. I don't know. I mean, I mean they're keeping their guys. So maybe they are focusing on this upcoming year. So I, I just feel like I, I give them props for making that decision because it's a hard decision to make. And, you know, we see some other teams don't make that decision, especially yeah. the one, you know, the Cubs will be playing this week. Well, it's amazing. The Rockies did absolutely nothing except piss off their best player, Trevor story. And that's a couple times now they pissed off Nolan. They pissed off Trevor. Uh, we'll get to the Rockies sort of in a minute. Um, but uh, I, I do want to come back to that, Jeremy uh, Jed's comments today, but let's first get these prospects out and then we'll come back and bring it full circle. Uh, Randall, you called it Thursday night is when things really got going and shocking a guy who ostensibly has been the captain for the Chicago Cubs much of the last decade. Anthony Rizzo, gets traded to the New York Yankees. Amazing seeing that come across the ticker wire. Uh, Cubs getting a couple of really interesting prospects here, including who Fangraphs thinks is now number two in the Cubs system. Outfielder Kevin Alcantara, a 19-year-old, and then right-handed pitcher Alexander Vizcaino. Right when this trade happened, Jeremy, uh, you and I had the text chain going. Uh, we were all excited about Alcantara. This is a big player, six foot six, 190 pounds. Sky seems to be the limit for him. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting, uh, you know, trade, especially for Anthony Rizzo. It's kind of, as Randall said, you know, some trades seem like they got more than what was. And for Rizzo, I feel like that's one of them. Um, you know, it was kind of similar, kind of funny to the trade to uh, Joey Gallo, where a lot of people were saying that's all they got for Gallo. But the, but you, where you look at it, you're like, all of these guys, they were young, raw, talented players, but they're all were performing well, and they're all moving up on the list. And I feel like Al Alcantara is another one of those guys. Um, and it, he's six, six, like that's a big dude. You know, yeah. he was a, a top um, international free agent signing. He got a lot of money, big bonus baby. And he's performing in the Arizona complex league. He's hitting. So it's an interesting return. Uh, Vizcaino is a guy who's already on the 40 man. So that, and he's already kind of older. So, you know, he, but you read the scouting reports on him. He's got some great stuff. It just hasn't really a lot of control issues right now. But it's interesting. And Alcantara, one thing that's interesting about uh, Alcantara is Fangrass has him number two. Some other places, like opinions on him, everybody agrees on like the, his upside, but opinions on like where to rank him are kind of all over the place. Like Baseball America on their list of the, you know, they rank every prospect who got traded. They had him as like the number five, I think number five pro Cubs prospect on the list. And they had like oh. Greg, they had Greg Dykeman ahead of him and Vis Vizcaino was a spot ahead of him. And it was, it was, it was towards the top of the list. Uh, I think he was, you know, he was, uh, he was the number 18 player overall that got traded according to them, this in terms of their ranking system. And, but it was behind this guy. It was behind Canario who we'll talk about on the Cubs. So it's just interesting that different places have him rated, you know, but that's what happens when it's a young guy who's mostly raw talent, you know, people are going to have different wide variety of opinions. Were you happy with the return Randall? Uh, you know, I was after reading the, the evaluations and the reports, it seems like they got a lot more for Rizzo than you would have expected. Um, so again, this is one of those returns that I think the Cubs outkicked their coverage a little bit, and that helps kind of balance things out for some of the returns you might've felt were a little lighter. So, you know, as difficult as it is to separate out the emotion from the logic here, once you're somehow able to get past that. Yes, they traded Anthony Rizzo and I'm still processing that. This is a, this is a good return. This is a first baseman who's in his early thirties. He's had a history of back issues uh, and he's going to be a free agent at the end of this year. And the Cubs got a very good return for that. You don't normally get this kind of return for that profile of player. So Jed in making what is this difficult decision. And I don't envy Jed Hoyer uh, one bit because of the players he traded this week he had a hand in drafting Rizzo in Boston, yeah. acquiring Rizzo in San Diego, uh, and acquiring Rizzo with the Cubs. So that's a player he's basically brought with him three different stops now, and he had to make that make that difficult decision to to send him out. Uh, and of course, he was part of drafting Bryant, 
and you know, I don't envy him one bit. This had to have been an extremely difficult week for him. Um, so once you're able to somehow push past the emotion, yeah, they got a good return for Rizzo. Riddle, that's a good point, too, about Jed and the history with Anthony. We as fans develop an emotional relationship for these players, but we really don't know them. We see them play. Our perspective of them is largely driven by their performance or personality on the field. A guy like Jed Hoyer has known Anthony Rizzo since he was a young man. And that must be challenging because one of the things you need your general manager or director of baseball ops to do is make those unemotional decisions that make the roster better. But these are still people with families and, and you like people and you don't like other people. It really makes it an interesting thing. And I, I think five, 10, well, probably more than that, maybe 10 years down the road from now, 15 years down the road from now, when we get sort of the full story of this Cubs saga and this Cubs era, this time is going to be a compelling part of it and a sad part of it, but still something that's going to be very interesting to read through. Um, one other note on Alcantara, the big sort of knock on him right now is a swing and the miss. Not really uncommon in the game right now. The big upside, which we've alluded to, is a lot of optimism for more power coming as he fills out that frame. So it's hard to tell with a 19-year-old really what you have there, but still the Cubs get two very interesting prospects coming back for half a season of Anthony Rizzo. And what does Anthony Rizzo do in his first game in New York? Oh, he hits a bomb. First two games, you're right. But um, just so interesting, first game playing for the New York Yankees, you're in Miami right outside from where Anthony grew up, uh, his family with New York ties. What a cool thing for him to experience. And uh, best of luck to him in New York. It sucks to see him in a Yankees uniform, but I don't know. It's, it's going to be the baseball fan in me is going to enjoy watching him play in Yankee Stadium, hopefully in October. Yeah, you know, I kind of get Kerry Wood vibes there. And also, you know, you talk about Jed. Um, as KB put it, as Chris Bryant put it, uh, you know, it seems kind of like Jed kind of did some work to try. Maybe, I mean, I'm sure he took the best offers he got, but also to give guys, put guys in spots that he thought they would be comfortable in. Uh, you know, Anthony Rizzo goes to New York. Uh, he's got family ties there. He kind of feels like a Yankee, to be honest. Uh, Baez goes to play with his good friend, uh, you know, Lindor in New York again, another place with high Puerto Rican population. You know, Chris Bryant goes out to the West Coast, was a place that you always assumed Chris Bryant was going to go. You know, he keeps. As Chris Bryant moved, he keeps Craig Kimbrell in Chicago where his family or his daughter, you know, has heart issues. So it does seem like he put some effort a little bit to try to kind of move guys all around and see where they could fit. You know, I, I don't think that was, you know, just happen chance, but I also don't think he did it like purposefully, like in terms of like, well, I have to get this guy here, you know, especially with all the talks here about Tampa and stuff about things. But but I, I do think he did put a little bit of effort in to try to do what was best for the players. Absolutely. And we will um, touch on that again here. But let's talk about that Craig Kimball trade. We knew he was going to go. We knew he was the most maybe sought after pitcher, certainly maybe the most sought after player among any team in contention. You put Craig Kimball on your team, you get a lot better. And we know the importance of bullpens, particularly in the playoffs in the modern game. All you need is a couple of really good bullpen arms and you can do a lot of damage in the postseason. Well, Randall, I, I was thinking of you when this trade went through, just going, oh, no. He goes to the south side of Chicago, the red-hot White Sox, add one of the best pitchers in the game. Um, but a unique return here, a couple of major leaguers coming back to the Cubs. Nick Madrigal, the everyday second baseman before suffering injury a couple of weeks ago. This is a major league player coming back to the Chicago Cubs. Cody Hoyer, also the relief pitcher in the mix for the Chicago Cubs. Uh, Randall, interesting return here. A couple of major leaguers on a day that was otherwise driven by minor league returns. Yeah, I was really surprised to see that was the return for Kimbrell. I would have bet on getting much more of a blue chip prospect instead of, a, instead of major league pieces. And maybe that gives you some idea of the hopefully the competitive timeline for this completely new look roster that in getting a pair of major league pieces back for Kimbrel, they hope to rebuild this roster sooner versus later. Madrigal is a kind of a, a low ceiling, high floor guy. He doesn't do anything except for one thing particularly well, but the one thing he does do particularly well happens to be what this offense has been missing. He makes contact um, and he, he hits for average. He doesn't do a whole lot else. Well, he doesn't really walk. He doesn't really hit for power. The defense is average, but he does make productive contact. And that's something this lineup has been missing. My only qualm about this is that he's sort of like a less offensively gifted Nico Horner. Um, I guess you could say Nico hasn't quite shown that, that 
that skill as a major leaguer in the full sample size yet. So it's sort of like you have two Nico Horners on the roster now offensively. You can debate whether that's a good thing or a bad thing, but it's it's closer to being the truth than not. So it's an interesting return. It's uh, And it felt a little light to me, but at the same time, you could probably also argue that a established, sort of established major league player is worth in a lot of ways, maybe a, a really good prospect and a mid-level prospect. And so it was interesting to see that that was the return that Jed targeted in this trade. Well, I, for me, um, when I heard it was the White Sox, I thought the opposite. I thought they have to be getting a major league player here because the White Sox don't have any blue trip prospects. Oh, their farm is depleted. <laughs> so I'm like, they have to be getting a major league player here because and Madrigal is not the top of my list in terms of the major league players. I thought that they could get, you know, maybe they could pull off a Kopech or a Vaughn or somebody. But, uh, you know, for for one and a half years of of Craig Kimbrell, who's a, a great who's been a great closer for the Cubs this season, uh I think, you know, Nick Nantricles, uh, I think that's a pretty hefty price to be honest. I mean, I understand why the Sox did it. And I understand, you know, to them, especially after they got Cesar Hernandez, who I think is a really good fit for the White Sox. And with him out for the year, you know, and Cesar has an option for next year. So Madrigal kind of is a little expendable to them. But you get a guy who I'm not the highest Nick Madrigal guy because for some of the issues Randall laid out. Um, but he's still a guy that's probably going to be an above average baseball player. I don't think he's ever going to be a star. But he's gonna be above average second baseman. You get him five years of him, like you just can plug him right there, and that's what he's gonna be for a year and a half of an elite closer who the Cubs probably won't need an elite closer, anyways. Right. I think I think that's a pretty good return, and I think Cody Hoyer is also a pretty good part of that. A guy who has great stuff, he pitched very well last year. Some of the stuff this year, I think, is out of his control, like his BABIP is really uh high, you know, he's given up a lot more homers than would be expected. Uh, I think he's pitched pretty decently i i think i think there's a little more in there based on his stuff uh, i think he probably could have higher strikeout rates and hopefully he can walk less but i i, I like the return i mean i would have would have been what i target necessarily i don't know if i would have you know with the white Sox, but I, I think for craig cribble i think it's a solid return i think madrigal probably be it'll be interesting with as randall mentioned nico and nick you know two west coast guys pack 12 guys played all around together but and they're very similar and it'll be an interesting you know double play combination there, but uh, I, it's the one weird one, as you say, because is this, you know, is, you don't get Nick magical. I feel like to just to waste a couple years of his, yes. you, know, el, you know, of his service time. So like, is this the one where they're going to try to compete a little bit and they're going to plug him into second base and see what happens. I, right. I think that's a great point. Go ahead, Randall. Yeah. We, you know, we talk about that. We were just talking about the, the potential of these prospects and getting guys who are raw and have this projectable ability. Madrigal is a guy who, he, you know, he has 324 major league plate appearances to his name. He has 705 minor league plate appearances to his name. He is much more of a proven commodity. And, you know, again, the ceiling on him isn't quite what you'd like, but the floor on him is also higher then you would be worried it is. So you, it, he's very much, I think, a, a proven commodity, at least with his, his skill sets as to how he'll fit into this offense. And as much as we talk about the, the projectability of a prospect, you traded for a, a guy you know what you're going to get. He's not a prospect. He probably doesn't have a whole lot more in the way of kind of upward development. But what he does do well, what he's already developed into, is something that could potentially fit your offense very well. And if he can maintain his on-base ability and 705 minor league plate appearances, he posted an on-base percentage of 371 in his 324 major league plate appearances between last year and this year, an on-base percentage of 358. If you can get some power in the lineup behind him, that's a good skill set to have at the top of your lineup. So again, you, instead of going for what could be in this trade, they went for something that more or less already is. And that's, that's an interesting way to go with this trade. It's not what I would have expected. I might have wanted a little more, but I don't think it's completely without value. And, and there's two things I just want to point out with, uh, in terms of Madrigal. One is he got hurt we all know, and hopefully he'll be okay. He got hurt at the end of last year too, but he was hitting for some power before he got hurt. Like he was on a tear right before he got hurt. I was like, cause before that, I remember, you know, following the, you know, with the white Sox and everything. And I was like, eh, I don't know about magical. And then all of a sudden he started like breaking out. And I'm like, is this kid better than I thought he was going to be like, is he going to be a stud? And then he got hurt, but he was breaking out. And the other thing is uh, fan graphs, they, you know, they do their top 50 trade value series every year, you know, based on who they think has the most trade value uh, contract performance projection. Uh, this year, Nick Patrick was number 44 and that's with him hurt. 
on their list. And Craig Kimbrell was not on the list. So not only did they get the, they traded a guy off the list for a guy who was on the list at number 44 and got another piece back. So I don't know. I, I think that Nick Madrigal, I, I think getting, you know, a guy like that, who's probably like a three win player, uh, getting him, plugging him in there for five years, you know, that's probably what you're going to get. I, I think that's a pretty good poll. I think there's going to be more and more attention to on these contact hitters. We've seen so much power strikeout walk the last 10 years. A lot of teams doing that. You got to add some diversity into the lineup in terms of different types of hitters. We've seen how refreshing when he's healthy. Nico Horner was in this Cubs lineup that was full of power hitting strikeout guys. Um, so it, it's cool to see major league talent because I think that was the most important thing from this. And you've both touched on it. To me, it feels like the timeline is moving. We're not looking at three to four years of a rebuild, even though a lot of these prospects are on the younger side and looking at the mid-2020s at being an opportunity for them to get to the majors. There's no reason to have Nick Madrigal on a team if you're expecting to go out and lose 90 games or you're trying to lose 90 games next year in order to get a top draft pick. So I think there's, there's a lot of reason for optimism with that. Um, what do you think my favorite aspect of Cody Hoyer is? Wichita State. I don't know. What's your favorite aspect? Of you know, Hoyer? that's a good one. Cause I did want to mention he was a six round draft pick back in 2018 out of Wichita state. Great baseball program there. A um, couple little facts on him. Born in Montana. Respect for that. Played high school ball here outside of Denver and Fort Collins before going to Wichita state. He spells his first name C O D I. And I love that. So we got a group chat with Randall and Jeremy. I call Randall Randy and I spell it R-A-N-D-I. I call Jeremy, Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-I. Sort of a, a tip of the cap to and Jeremy I call Gonzalez. you Roni, R-O-N-I. You call me Roni. But I saw Cody Hoyer coming to the Chicago Cubs, C-O-D-I. This is perfect. So Randy, Randy, I'm going to continue to add that I to the back end of your name in honor of this new Cubs reliever. He's just shaking his head, shaking the head, loss of words. He's just shaking his head at me going, all right, all right, minion, move on here to the next one. Um, let's go to New York city. Another trade here. Um, this one sort of, uh, uh, I guess the, the Kimbrough trade happened first. And once Madrigal came to the Cubs, we were all like, okay, now the Cubs have Nick Madrigal an established major league second baseman, or at least a, a guy who's been in the majors. Nico Horner, who was sort of expected to be the Cubs everyday second baseman. And you've got this expiring contract on Javier Baez, your shortstop. So what's the game plan here? The thought was Javi could be on the move, and he did go on the move. As you mentioned, Jeremy, the New York Mets, he joins his buddy, Francisco Lindor. Really, really interesting up the middle there with uh, Lindor and Baez on that middle infield. Trevor Williams, also in the move, the right-handed pitcher, who was uh, mostly down this year for the Cubs. The peripherals seemed all right. Mets thought they wanted to give it a shot. That was a spot that we thought maybe would go to Zach Davies, but it ended up being Trevor Williams. Prospect coming back was the Mets' number five prospect, a center fielder by the name of Pete Crow Armstrong. Fangraphs puts him in the top 10 for the Cubs at number seven. A center field, Jeremy, has been a problem spot for the Cubs since Dexter, Dexter Fowler has left. Tried a whole bunch of guys out there. Not a whole lot is stuck. Uh, Pete Crow Armstrong was someone that major league execs were saying was maybe one of the best prospects traded here at the deadline. A lot of upside here for the center fielder. Yeah, and I mentioned earlier, Baseball America, you know, they ranked – all 60 or whatever prospects. Pico Armstrong was their top uh, Cubs guy that they acquired. And he was the number six, according to them, prospect traded. Uh, it's an interesting trade. And, uh, you know, I remember Pico Armstrong when he was, when a couple years ago, when he was like a sophomore or junior, he was kind of making a name for himself out there at Harvard Westlake where Jack Flaherty and, and Max Fried and Lucas Giolito all went, you know, he's, he wants to like Jack, uh, excuse me, like, like Lucas Giolito, he's a child of actors. So he comes from an acting family. I think his dad's even from like Naperville, but uh, he was a guy that kind of blowing up and people thought maybe he could be in that one, one conversation, uh, number one overall pick in the draft, maybe top high school player. Then he kind of faltered a little bit, but it's kind of an interesting, he kind of, you know, uh, kind of like reminds of Blake Rutherford, who the White Sox traded for from the Yankees who hasn't really been able to put together, but you know, from all the reports and everything, they are what they're saying about him is that he's an elite defensive center fielder. One of the best defensive center field, even if the bat doesn't end up, you know, making it, he could probably be a major leaguer just based on his center field. Uh, one comp comp I heard, I think this was from Logan hanging was uh, uh, he's kind of could be a Jackie Bradley jr. Type where, you know, he's going to play an elite center field. 
he's probably going to mash on some, you know, curveballs that don't quite, you know, finish in the, in the bottom of the zone. He can golf them out, but maybe not, you know, really always get to the pitches at the top of the zone. But, uh, you know, it's an interesting play. And he, unfortunately, he had a shoulder injury. He was he hit well for a week and then he had a shoulder injury. He went down. But for most of the and all the Mets fans I know, they're all kind of a little annoyed. They're like, wow. When they heard Baez was coming, they're like, wow, we, we actually gave up one of our better prospects for that. You know, for a guy on expiring contract and Trevor Williams, who, as you said, I'm very surprised it was Trevor Williams yeah. and that Zach Davies is still around. So I, I like it. I like having a kid like that in the system. So we'll see how he goes. Yeah, you know, really interesting acquisition here on the count of Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, outfield is suddenly a very strong position in the Cubs minor league system, and bringing in Pete Crow Armstrong makes it uh, even stronger. Uh, you know, so what you, Jeremy, you talk about the comparisons on a guy. One of the comparisons I saw was Albert Almora Jr., and I said, no, 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 we need to have done better than that. <laughs> but the comparison is more kind of what we had hoped Almora would be a great defensive outfielder, which Almora flashed some of in his career, but much more so a guy who's able to make contact, get on base, be that leadoff hitter um, with a little bit of extra base power. And again, that's another that's another thing that the Cubs have been lacking since Dexter Fowler left is your, your bona fide leadoff man, your great defensive center fielder. And Pete Crow Armstrong has the ability to eventually develop into that. Uh, so again, that's, this is another interesting get for a guy like Baez who you weren't really sure what his trade value is going to be. We know he's a fantastic player, but we also know he, he has his issues and that can make gauging his trade value and even his eventual free agent contract. Very interesting. So this is a very interesting return for the half season of Baez. As you mentioned, when they traded for Madrigal and suddenly you had Madrigal, Nico and Baez on the roster, you know, it was all, uh oh, who's, yeah. you know, what, what's going to happen here? And sure enough, it wasn't too long after that that Baez went. Another player that it, it just hurts so much to lose everything we saw Baez do, everything we saw him do on the field, everything he was to this team to see that gone, it, it hurts a lot. Um, but again, once you can get past that, if you can get past that, and if anybody hasn't gotten past that yet, I don't blame them one bit. This is another strong return where you you did a little better than you might have expected, and that helps balance out uh, some of them where you didn't get quite as much back as you wanted. So again, the outfield position in the Cubs minor league system continues to strengthen, and the more you can strengthen a position group in your system, the more chances that at least one of them is going to hit and end up as a productive major leaguer. You know, I've expressed caution about extending someone like Javier Baez and all the reports have been the Cubs basically had a deal in place with him last year and then it sort of fell through the pandemic hit. Now here we are and he's a New York Met, you know, a year and a half later. Um, that said, I'm going to miss the hell out of Javier Baez. He was without a doubt one of the most exciting and fun players I will ever see in a Cubs uniform. And maybe we've seen him for a last time, but on the Cubs uniform and, and work his magic at Wrigley when it was on. That's a guy who could do everything on the field, offensively, defensively, his base running. We all saw the play in Pittsburgh, but really we've seen like that for the, the last six years, seven years. I remember a great story um, shortly after Javi was in the Cubs system. He was down in the minor leagues, way in Arizona. I'm talking like very, very beginning of his career. And he was jawing with the manager on the other team and he had a home run out of the ballpark and the manager on the other team was telling him to run the bases and he just turned to him and said, F you, right? This was like a 19 year old or whatever yeah. at the time. I, I totally going off that. and doing his thing. You remember that story? Like Javier Baez was pure emotion and it was such a pleasure to watch him play. But I was very worried about how is a guy like that going to age? You know, defense is a big part of his game. Your body breaks down as you get a little bit older. He strikes out. He doesn't walk. Those were always things that a guy like me gets very nervous about. So it's sad to see him go. What I'm interested in seeing with Javi in the second half of the year is him being exposed to New York media for half a season and that being on a good team, being on a team in the middle of a pennant race, you pointed this out earlier, Jeremy, uh, one of the reporters in New York put a tweet out, Javier Baez limping back to the dugout after running to first base. And it's like, man, that's all he does. Like have these yeah, guys not watched him, but it's funny. Cause you're seeing these big names in baseball. Someone yesterday said, wow, Javier Baez sure is a superstar when he had a home run in his first game. It's like, where the hell have you been? He's been doing incredible things on the north side. The guy is a walking highlight reel. It'll be interesting to see because you know how Javi is too. He gets hot. He goes off. He can look horrific for a week or two. And if the Mets start getting in a funk, getting towards September, and he's striking out, makes a couple of errors in the field, it's going to turn very, very quickly. 
very, very quickly. Yeah, I saw that last night too. You know, I was watching the. Uh, I would. I've been checking in on every, all these guys at bats, and you know, Javi hit that big homer, and then he comes up in another huge spot in the ninth, and he got to a three zero count, right? And basically, uh, the pitcher I, I, was an Embry. I don't remember. Uh, pitching and he was just throwing slider after slider after slider. There's a three Oh count and he throws a slider out of the zone and obviously swings at it. And then he missed one kind of, he should have hammered. And then there's strikeouts. So three straight strikes. And I'm like, Javi, if you're going to swing on three Oh, why are you swinging on a slider out of the zone and to throw a slider out of the zone to Javi on a three Oh count. So it, it was just, that's the good, that's the bad. And you had the good yeah. earlier in the Homer. So it's just been interesting to see other people finally get to see what we've seen for so long and how they react to it. Ronan, you mentioned somebody tweeting Biasher is a superstar. We all know that when a player gets to New York, when anything gets to New York, New Yorkers absolutely <laughs> cannot help themselves but to act like they've discovered it wholesale, the first person who ever experienced it. And I have zero doubt that uh, Aaron Boone, manager of the Yankees, and the, the Yankees media and Yankees fans, all of them are sitting there drowning in their own self-smugness going, wow, this Anthony Rizzo sure is a great baseball player. He can hit for power. He can play a great first base. Yes, yes, he can. And, you know, delightful of you to notice. Um, so th that has nothing to do with the trades. It's just always funny to see uh, New York fans and media discover a player that has not been in their little New York bubble uh, for the first time and notice that uh, there is baseball outside of the New York bubble and then act like they found this player from nowhere. There is baseball west of Philadelphia, Randall. Um, easier for you to see. Anthony Rizzo is a Yankee or Javier Baez is a Met? Neither of them. Neither of them is particularly okay. easy Rizzo to see. Rizzo is a Yankee. You know, it's, yes. it's, a, it's a zero sum game for me. I, I guess don't you mind Rizzo as a Yankee. My, you know, Baez is a bet. I don't like it. <laughs> you know, I just, I, I imagine Ron Santo screeching up in heaven, oh gosh, at a player like Javi putting on the uniform of a Mets. So I guess if I have to pick one, Rizzo's a little easier to see. Neither one of them is easy. And I guess it's a little ironic. They're both still in pinstripes. Baez, his jersey has barely changed at all. It just has a name across the chest instead of a, a bullseye over the heart. But it, it's it, neither one of them is particularly easy. And it's going to be a little while until I see these players that we've seen grow up. Their, their swing, their, their mannerisms rounding the bases. Rizzo swinging and leaning back as he pulls a ball to deep right in that way that he does, rounding first. To see that in a jersey that isn't the Cubs, it just feels fundamentally wrong. And it just makes you wonder how we got to this point. That's rhetorical. I know how much more I know, Rizzo Padres highlights. You know, Rizzo barely has any Padres highlights. He was there for yeah, two he minutes. Had a home run. He hit a there, home run. <laughs> he, hit, he hit one home run. Yeah, it's, it's just, it, it's just going to take a very long time. To, to Randall, adjust. Let me get emotional here for can a second. I, can I, I say one thing quick? Yes, oh, please. John Lister, St. Louis Cardinal. That's oh. what I'm sure you're going to adjust to real quick. Well, that's Christ. when I knew the baseball gods were just just dropping middle fingers all over Randall. It's like as bad as it was to lose all of our stars to see John Lester go to the Cardinals. It's like, what the hell, man? Why why do you have to pile also, on? Also, like Brutal. how every 2016 Cub just decided to get traded at Solaire, Schwarber. It was like yeah. Lester. It was like, it didn't matter if you're on the team. You get traded anyways. Yeah, you know, Lester in a Cardinals jersey. If you told me that Mosellock did that solely to spite the Cubs. Just I, you. Just me. He did it to spite you personally. If you, look, if you told me he did it to spite me personally, I'd believe you. I don't think he did, but if you could bring me proof that he did, I wouldn't have a hard time believing it. Randall, get emotional with me for a minute. I love, I always ask you that, and I, I want it to happen right here. Um, and I think we've even mentioned this in the podcast in the past, but of all of the things in the last six, seven years, the great baseball we've seen, the wins, the World Series, the walk-offs, all that fun, a regret I would say is that it's a damn shame that Ernie Banks and Ron Santo didn't get a chance to see Rizzo and Baez and Brian. I mean, could you imagine Ron Santo watching Javier Baez making that play at Pittsburgh? Like that oh, would have been, it just would have been the best thing. I think about this all the time. Do you, how much would Ron Santo know? He would have loved this entire positional core that he would have treated them all as his sons in that way that he did for players he really liked, but how much would he have loved a nice Italian boy like Anthony Rizzo playing first base and doing the things he does in a Cubs uniform. That is, that, that is regretful that Santo, he didn't even come close to seeing this core. He was no longer with us years before any of them would arrive. And I was thinking the other day, but did he get to see Rizzo? Cause Rizzo of course was here first and sadly, no Santo passed away prior to the 2011 season. So he, he didn't even get to come close, but you know, I, I like to think that uh, whatever your beliefs are, he, he knows 
wherever he is, as does Ernie. I, I firmly believe they caused the rain delay in 2016. You know, they, they went over to the fire hose up there and they said, in case of emergency, break glass. Um, but no, I, I think about that all the time, how much Santa would have loved 2015 through really to 2020 um, and how much of a shame it is he never got to see any of these players play in a, a Cubs uniform. I think about that all the time. No doubt. No doubt. I also think about Ron Santo's thoughts on the pandemic. There would have been some liners in there, but even, you know, Harry Carey and Jack Brickhouse, like Harry Carey calling a Javier Baez home run. That would have been fun. Uh, one more point on Santo. I do think, you know, Santo loved fun players. You, you bring up the good point about Rizzo at first. I think Baez speaks for itself, but as a third baseman, getting Santos take on Bryant and third base has been a revolving door largely for the Cubs with the exception of Aramis, someone who Santo loved uh, in his time and, and many classic calls in that time as well. So just something that as fun as these last couple of years have been, uh, what could have been to have some of those moments with some of the great uh, Cubs over the years. You know, it was Ron Santos final year in a Cubs uniform was 1973. Aramis arrived in 2003. That's a 30 year gap. Aramis Ramirez uh, leaves via free agency following the 2011 season. Chris Bryant makes his major league debut five years later. So if you look at it in that perspective, we went from a 30-year gap to a four-year gap from one franchise third baseman to another. Maybe it'll only be another two years as we're, we're really breaking down these, these, these spans here before we get somebody who is the equal of a Santo, uh, a Ramirez, or a Bryant. Patrick Wisdom is the answer to that Thanks, question. Stuart. And uh, Ian Stewart, the former Rocky great. Oh, Ron uh, Say, man. Ron Say. I bring him up all the time. He had some years. He had some years. That's fair. Um, but third base, uh, been, a, been a tough spot. Let's hope center field doesn't take that long to get a gap between Dexter and, um, I don't know, maybe Pete Crow Armstrong. The 19-year-old will be the answer. Uh, last point on him, Randall. It's not really about him. When you see Cubs top prospects born in 2002, how does that make you feel? You know, funny thing, to go outside the Cubs system a little bit, Wander Franco was born in 2001, uh, and the Rays were wearing 1998 Devil Rays throwbacks <laughs> this weekend. So you have a player born in 2001 wearing a throwback jersey from 1998. From an expansion team. From an expansion team in 1998. It's, it's difficult to process the time. Like, uh, uh, Wander Franco wasn't born when the Cubs won the wild card in 1998. Like, yeah, you know, Castro, Starlin Castro, who uh, is in a fair bit of trouble right now and uh, not, not wrongly so, uh, he was the first MLB player born in the 1990s. To think that we're in the 2000s now, it just makes you want to crumble, crumble up and wither away and, and float away in the breeze sometimes. It keeps moving, Randall. Time keeps moving. Uh, here's a trade that caught all of our attention. Chris Bryant, Rookie of the Year, MVP for the Chicago Cubs to the San Francisco Giants. He ends up out west. Of course, born and raised, grew up in Las Vegas, played his college ball in Southern California. He goes to the Bay Area. The Giants, the best record in Major League Baseball. And um, two players coming back here. Jeremy, uh, you've got the outfielder, Alexander Canario, a, a big-time prospect here. And then a really interesting pitcher, Caleb Killian. This is a guy who is basically on no top list. He's not a coveted prospect, but he is absolutely dominating this year, striking guys out, not walking anybody. What an interesting return for the former MVP. It is an interesting return. This is actually the one I probably felt the most disappointed in, in terms of what came back for Chris Bryant. You know, when you got Rizzo, Baez, the uh, Craig Kimbrough trades, I felt like, okay, all those seemed, you know, they all seemed pretty well. And then you get the Bryant trade where I was actually expecting something a little bit bigger. Maybe you, you can even get a top 100 prospect, maybe even higher, who knows, for Chris Bryant. And then to get back the, the kind of guys that got back, I did feel a little light uh, on that to me. But, you know, Canario is a guy that, that seemingly has a wide range of opinions on. He, he, he's in low A. He's on, he's already on the 40 man as well. So you got to kind of make a decision on this kid uh, and next in the next couple of years. And he's a guy who probably has, you know, kind of a longer developmental uh, window. So it'll be interesting to see because he's so raw and, and they have to make a decision on him in two, three years. And like, he's already been, he's using one option this year and another option will be used next year. So you're going you to, he'll be out of options in like three in two years. So you're going to have to make a decision on him soon. And he's pretty raw, but you know, some people really like him. He, he like I said, you know, some of the 
Eric Loggenhagen said he was the, always been the high man on him. He's a guy who he loves his swing. He's got a perfect left-handed swing. He's got power. He's always kind of liked him. He, he hasn't quite kind of produced, although I would say in the last month or so, if you look at his numbers, he's kind of really producing in, in low A. Um, Killian, he's, as you say, he's the interesting one. You look at his, he's from Texas Tech. You look at his numbers, absolutely dominating. Right. His numbers are just absolutely fantastic. He's in double A now. He dominated high A. Uh, he, you look then you look at his scouting reports and he, he's not like a Kyle Hendricks esque in terms of he doesn't, he's, you know, throwing 88 miles an hour. 87. He does have a fastball that'll reach into the mid 90s, but it's not considered like an elite fastball. Um, he's a guy that. I think from what I've read is that scouts, you know, he was dominating, but he, they expected him at some point he was going to reach a level where they say, okay, we expect him to kind of Peter out, but he never really petered out. He just continued dominating. And so there's something there where it seems like people are kind of, they don't know what to think of him. Um, is there something there? For, why is this kid dominating when nobody really expects him to be dominating in the manner he is? So maybe there is something there. Maybe there's something funky about his delivery. Maybe there's something else, you know, going on. And, and I think it's interesting that the Cubs kind of took a chance on this kid. And it kind of reminds me of Kyle Hendricks uh, in the Dempster where when Kyle Hendricks was traded, I thought the bigger name was Christian Villanueva. He was a top 100 prospect. He was coming up. And then they also got this other guy, Dartmouth. Didn't have great stuff, but he didn't walk anybody and he had really good minor league numbers. And then Kyle Hendricks became a mainstay of the rotation. Maybe this kid, Caleb Killian, kind of Killian, kind of doing the same thing. He's kind of an interesting guy. Maybe he's a guy who can fight his way into the rotation. And, you know, we've seen some pitchers come out of nowhere where they were never considered high rated prospects. And they like Corey Kluber. I'm not saying this kid's Corey Kluber or Corbin Burns necessarily, or either of them, but like those are guys that were never really highly considered as prospects. And then they just kind of blew their way through. So there's always kind of a way as a pitcher, maybe it's a grip, maybe it's something you're doing that guys just can't pick up that, you know, you can, you can kind of make your way through. So I think he's an interesting uh, arm to watch. He's 24 years old. He's split time this year between Class A Eugene, uh, Randall's team, Double A Richmond, the Flying Squirrels. Love the Flying Squirrels. Great name. Great, great minor league name. And Eugene, of course, uh, close to our hearts here as a former Cubs affiliate. 96 strikeouts, nine walks in 84 and two-thirds innings. Uh, Look, he may not be a top prospect. Randall, those are dominant numbers at any level of pro sports. And it's an interesting point. He was listed as the Giants' number 30 prospect. Uh, but those rankings were made prior to the start of the season. And he has apparently shot up those boards uh, in the time since. So this is another trait where it feels light, but depending on how some of the players pan out, it could end up being really productive. And an interesting point on Alexander Canario, who was just assigned to class a South Bend this week for the Cubs is as Jeremy said, he was already on the 40 man roster because the giants were worried someone was going to take him in the rule five draft and keep him on the roster a whole season just to stash him eventually in their minor league system and continue developing. And that's how high the giants were on him, or at least how worried the giants were that somebody else was going to be really high on him. Um, So, you know, teams always value their own prospects. That's not necessarily news, but it is an interesting note uh, about this guy. The Cubs were able to get back for Bryant and it gives you a little bit of hope as to how he might develop going forward. Randall, I was reading the fan scouting report on Canario and there's a line in there that just made me think about you. So let me read it here and let me see if you can pick up on it. So it starts with uh, Canario is n- uh, still not a polished, skillful hitter. He has mediocre natural, <laughs> man, I can't even get to it. He has mediocre natural timing and feel to hit and his front side often, <laughs> his front... <laughs> I can't get it out. His front side often leaks. <laughs> Well, Ronan, I'm, I'm delighted, d- truly delighted that that's what <laughs> reminds you of me. Uh, there's no higher honor. I'll just go Report. retire now. You got to write one of those for Randall. Um, the whole study report. But uh, Canario, yeah, as we mentioned, he's an interesting guy. And and uh, Longhangen, you know, one thing about him is he's really high strikeout rate. So that's probably what you're getting at there, you know, with his front side leaking. Um, so he's got the high strikeout rates. But uh, it, that's like I said, that's the KB trade. I was kind of hoping for a little more, but you know, it's another guy. If he, if Canario can get to the point to what people believe his ability is, 
then that's going to be a trade will pay off. How about these giants though? Right. Yeah. We came into the year. We were talking about the West Dodgers, Padres, Dodgers, Padres, giants are killing it. And now they go for the kill, bringing in the former MVP. That's, that's good stuff from San Francisco. That's how big market teams should be acting when they're trying to win. Well, I mean, I, I did think with the Cubs, if they didn't go on this 11 game losing streak and, and, just completely tank which you know some of this is on the players themselves like they're three years since 2018 like they really haven't kind of pretty like they choked 2018 they choked 2019 i know they got hurt a lot and then 2020 they choked against the marlins and it's like and then they choke in the middle of the season so sometimes you have to put it on the players like you have to produce but i didn't think the cubs were going to add they were going to add i think so I, I don't necessarily think they weren't going to add in the in the middle of the season like the giants are Although I did read today about how they, you know, gave everybody a nice little T-shirt. Little Kyler got his Giants T-shirt. Now he associates the Giants logo with his father. We've lost um, Kyler. And and so maybe who knows? He, he said it's definitely enticing to stick around. So maybe they'll offer him something. Although I think they still have Longoria around. Yeah. And I, look, Chris is going to certainly test free agency. It's oh, something yeah. he's been looking forward to. Um, he's going to enjoy those waters of getting flown around the country and get nice dinners bought for you. And it's funny, all those teams have to like put together pitches or presentations. I, I, I expect Chris to handle it like guys uh, LeBron James, you know, a little board meeting. And hopefully when the Cubs go down there, they don't go through the wrong door like Jerry Reinsdorf or John Paxson didn't get stuck out in front of the media. It'll be the decision live on Marquee Sportsnet, uh, right in the middle of hey, the collective. If it's on Marquee Sportsnet, I got I have a good feeling about where he's <laughs> going. One interesting thing too about uh, KB grew up in Vegas. We talked about that. Lots of baseball talent too in Vegas. Uh, the Gallows of the world, the Harpers of the world. Greg Maddox. But he loved uh, Greg Maddox, of course. Uh, before that, um, he loved Giant Slugger Barry Bonds. So you go from Wrigley Field playing in front of that amazing fan base had the playoff victory against the giants 2016 in the divisional series. Now you get to play where Barry Bonds set the home run record. That's pretty cool. In fact, all three of these guys ended up in really good spots. It's part of the reason why I kind of hope all these teams choke. So they don't actually experience the playoffs in those cities. (laughs) So they don't get the, the, Oh, the pleasure of being on a postseason team. Exactly. And then it's like, they don't feel the full thing. Then they don't feel like if they want to come back, they're like, well, they don't have that in them. So he's a giant. Giants looking good in the West. Uh, one other notable move here, Jake Marisnik, who uh, played well when he was healthy for the Cubs, ended up being a real pleasant addition to the outfield. He gets thrust into the pennant race there in the National League West, going to the San Diego Padres. The return is Anderson Espinosa, right-handed pitcher five years ago. This guy was hot. Everybody wanted a piece of him. So that makes it somebody that, that uh, is worth taking a gamble on. I mean, it's, it's Jake Marisnik on a team that could very likely or should likely finish in fourth place in the division. You get a pitcher who, yeah, he's passed sort of the, Oh, wow, this guy is a big deal, but maybe there's something in there where he finds a spark and you end up getting a right-handed arm out of it. Yeah. You know, Anderson Espinosa was once considered like maybe even the topping pitching and all top pitching prospect in all baseball. He had a lot of Pedro Martinez comps on him. He got traded for Drew Pomerantz to the Padres at the, at a time when Drew Pomerantz was highly, you know, valued. Um, but then he had arm juice and he hasn't pitched since 2016 and he's had multiple Tommy John surgeries, but it's looking like from his time in San Diego coming back that he's velocity is there. So maybe he's a relief pitcher. He's probably never going to be what people once thought of him, a big-time starter. But, you know, for Jake Marisnik to take a chance on a kid who's still only 23, uh, who's had that kind of pedigree, who's coming back, he's still throwing hard, he's throwing mid-90s. Like, I, it's it's perfectly good return, I think, to take a chance on a guy like that for Jake Marisnik. I, I, I actually kind of like that trade. Sure, it's, it's a lottery ticket. And if you're, you know, that's perfectly fine. You're going to get rid of a a fringe piece. It's perfectly fine to get back a guy with ability and potential because the alternative is, you know, keeping this fringe piece on your roster where they continue to be kind of a fringy player rotating in and out of the starting lineup, coming in as a defensive replacement. That's fine. You're rolling the dice. And if you, you get something out of it, you've come out ahead. And if you don't, you really didn't give up anything too, too notable uh, in the first place. So it's perfectly fine. Roll the dice. All in all, Randall tread deadline has come and gone. These World Series heroes no longer in a Cubs uniform. Um, how are you feeling today? What is this, August 2nd? Uh, I mean, the, the wounds are still fresh, but how are better, you feeling? Better today than yesterday, but, you know, it's it's not a like prospect development. It's not a linear thing. 
you think you're doing okay. And then, ah, Rizzo brought his walk-up music to New York. Isn't that wonderful? I'm amazed they allow walk-up music in Yankee Stadium, too close to musical facial hair. But, you know, it, it it's, there's going to be <laughs> days where you're like, you know, I'm good with this. The prospects are producing. There's other Chicago teams to help dole the pain. And there's going to be days that just suck. You're watching yeah. your favorite players produce in other uniforms, having fun. And you remember when they were perfectly content to do that in Cubs uniforms. And, you know, it's not going to be a linear thing. There's going to be days that suck watching this happen. And there's going to be days when you're a little more at peace with it. And, and Randall, as you say, I, I hear you're now becoming more into a Bulls fan for some other. I'm not becoming into a Bulls fan, but you know, oh, Bulls, if the Bulls are going to if the Bulls are going to spend money and make productive moves and they don't have anything problematic going on at the moment, I'm, I'm open to things to keep me sane and entertained during the winter. I'm not against that. So bring it on. So for me, I, I don't know. I, I, I kind of I want to see all these guys do well, but I don't want to see these teams do well. I don't want to no, see them. I don't want to want that one to the postseason. Um, but I do root for these guys and I hope they do well. And I'm kind of just hoping these last two months are just kind of a quick blip. Uh, we get to the end of the season, we get to free agency and then who knows what happens in free agency. Um, Rizzo, I actually don't mind Rizzo as much. You know, I don't think he's really long for the sport for very much. He's older. He's Matt Randall mentioned his back problems. I think, you know, you're going to, you're going to get to his kind of his end of his days. He's spent 10, 11 years on the Cubs. He's always going to be a Cub. Um, the one that hurts me, you know, I Chris Bryant, he's 29 years old. I don't want him to go and then spend eight years as a San Francisco giant, nine years. Yeah. And then it's like he's a double dual guy. Same with Javi. Javi's 28. Uh, he could play for a long time somewhere. Uh, with him, I'm not as, you know, Ronan mentions all his uh, areas of risk. So who knows what will happen um, in terms of him. But, like, I, for me, it's get through this next two months. Get these guys to free agency. I'm sure the Cubs will be somewhat involved with all of them. I don't know how serious they'll be involved, but I, I'm sure they'll be somewhat involved. They'll have, uh, they'll have cursory involvement. We'll hear the Cubs are in talks. We'll hear they've made an offer. You know, I don't, I don't know that I see any of them coming back at this point. Maybe that's well, pessimism I think, talking. I think it's a possibility. I, it's I don't know. It's definitely a possibility. Happen, you can't rule but it I'm out. I'm not going to rule it out. I think um, Rizzo, I think Rizzo will come closest. Honestly, I think the other two, I, you think you know, they're gone. I, yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. I, are... I think, uh, preluding an October or November version of behind the yellow line. I right. like it. We're, we're sort of playing well, the just, seeds I'm just, here. I'm just trying to just to get my thoughts at the end of this trade deadline, but I do think, I do think they'll have conversations with all of them at that point. I think I'll deal with that then. So for me, yeah. it's just, you know, I, I, to me, I'm, I'm living in a world where I'm being optimistic and, you know, in October, November, we'll see what goes. So get these guys for these two months, maybe they'll produce, uh, hopefully, you know, I'm in my mind, I have the Mets, you know, the Braves coming through and taking that playoff spot from the Mets and the Yankees are out of it right now. So really, I'm thinking only maybe KB is going to be a playoff spot. So I'm hearing, uh, you know, you're crossing off Baez, Rizzo, Brian. I'm hearing Brewers, White Sox here. and That's not cool. That's not cool. I, Randall. Without the, to be honest, without the Cubs hating on the in the division, I don't mind the Brewers that much. I do not want to see that team win anything. No, no, <laughs> you know, they're going to take the division. It's going to be, but after Bucks, that, let them fail. It's going to be Packers. They can, they can, oh, they God. can win. It's going to be Packers with Graham Mertz. They can win the go to hell award, the trophy. <laughs> I award every it's year. It's an all Wisconsin year, Randall. Yeah. yeah no, thank you. Wisconsin. No, thank you. I would like to opt out of that. I would like to exercise the option in my contract to opt out of that. No, thank you. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm good. No, thank you. I think we all felt like we were tempting fate when the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. You know, those baseball gods were going to come back to spite us, and maybe that's what's coming here. I said yeah, we I'm wouldn't talk about won. I'm glad they the won. big league team. I got to say this, though. How about Rafael Ortega? Three home run day, and the Cubs lost Sunday in D.C. That was fun. Four hey, the season's going to be tough, but yeah, that was you know, fun. You got you to gotta find the light where you can. Um Good, good for him. You're, you're good. You're good until you're not. And I hope he continues producing because, you know, that has to feel great for him. Guy hasn't yeah. had a whole lot Lead of major league time. 2022. Yeah. Guy hasn't had a whole lot of major league time. I'm, I'm sure this feels great for him. Uh, I'd like to note the, the Padres took you Darvish from us. They're currently in third place. They are in a playoff spot. They're wild card too. The Yankees took Rizzo from us. They are currently not in a playoff spot. A whole lot of teams doing a lot of work to make me personally sad only to not be where they want as teams. Like you could Lester. not be where Lester, exactly. Cardinals, Cardinals are completely out of it. Nationals, 
you know, nationals were never really in it. A whole lot of teams working to make me personally sad when they could not do that and they'd be in the same spot. So it's kind of a dick move on the part of these teams, honestly. Randall, how do you feel about Schwarbs at Fenway? I, you know, I think he's going to be peppering the green monster with baseballs because nobody goes the opposite way with authority quite the way Schwarber does. Um, that's, you know, the Red Sox are... Schwarber, I'd already seen in another uniform. It doesn't really hurt nearly as much. And, you know, the offseason trades, they, they, they don't hurt as much because you don't see a guy in your uniform one day and then he's in another city in a different uniform the next day. You have time to process it. it it's not the same with an in-season trade. So Schwarber doesn't hurt as much. If Lester had gone to any team other than the Cardinals, that wouldn't hurt as much. Those are kind of their own thing. But Bryant and Rizzo and Baez, that, that just sucks. How do you man. feel about Gordon Whitmire getting it correct and that Jorge Soler has been traded to the Braves? Uh, you know, blind squirrel meat nut. Stop clock is right twice a day. Sometimes the he blind said squirrel. That, does, wasn't he saying, oh, Soler. Oh, he's, and Baez. One of the two was going to be traded for Shelby it was, Miller. It was Baez to the Braves for Shelby Miller. But I think uh, Soler was also rumored in that trade so at one point. It was, no, he, he very firmly said late one night prior to uh, – is either 2015 or 2016. Javi Baez to the, the Braves for Shelby Miller. And that, of course, did not happen. We did note that when they signed Shelby Miller on the minor league contract this past offseason, that it took uh, however many years for it to come to fruition, but Shelby Miller was finally a Cub. But uh, yeah, well, Gordon Mittenwire, take it back, did not did not find the uh, the, the the nut that, that night, but he is the nut. So good luck with that, Gordon. Cubs coming to Denver this week. Jeremy, you are not on their flight, but you're on a flight coming out here. No, I'm on their flight. I'm, I'm, I'm driving to? Well, to they're here. They are oh, yeah, here they're already. flying from D.C. I forgot about that. But uh, what are you most looking for forward to about the trip to uh, Denver? Uh, I don't know. Uh, it'll be interesting. Rafael Ortega. Uh, Rafael Ortega, seeing uh, Cody Hoyer, seeing, you know, a bunch of guys that I did not think I would ever be seeing and as Cubs. Patrick Wisdom, who I've seen a ton already, but – you know, hey, maybe Patrick Livingston will have a big, nice night in uh, Coors Field and, and just hit some powerful bombs. David Bodie coming back to his home state. Uh, it's not good Cubs baseball, but always fun when they meet. Should be good crowds. We'll be Cub-heavy crowds here in Denver, and Jeremy and I are going to be out there. So if you want to join us at BTYL Podcast, that's where we are on Twitter. We're going to have some great behind-the-scenes content. We're already planning on FaceTiming with Randall as often as we can. It's going to be a great time. We wish you were here, Randall, but uh, we're going to still have a good time with what's uh, left of this Cubs slash Iowa Cubs roster. If you're at Coors Field this week, tweet at BTYL Podcast, your section number, row number, and seat number, and you could be fortunate enough to receive a visit from the one and only Ronan O'Shea and Jeremy Spector. They will pose for photos. They will sign autographs for $5.99 uh, a pop. So, oh, wow. uh, you know, it's, yeah. So, you know, it's a, it's a tweet, your, tweet your location to win this prize and, and what a prize it is. And we'll be hanging with Dinger. It'll be nice to see Dinger. Jeremy hasn't seen him in a bit here, and uh, it'll be it'll be kind of a low key affair this time. The Rockies are done. The Cubs are done. Let's just go enjoy some midweek yep. August baseball in the smoky skies of Denver. And can I just say how appropriate it feels that as soon as this trade deadline series comes to a close the Cubs go to Coors Field to have that pitching just immolated in the fires of that ballpark like it feels it feels fitting like what do you do after you trade away your three franchise players you go to Coors Field where your patchwork pitching is apt to give up seven or eight runs a game it just it just feels right it feels like the beginning of a new era Actually, mm -hmm. I, that's, I'm trying to be optimistic. I'm trying yep. to look ahead here and say, you know, I, I liked what we've heard from Jed over the last two days. A lot of people have been criticizing him today for his comments about the, the, the three big guys, the Bryant Rizzo Baez. But I think he was telling the truth. I, I think the Cubs did make good offers to these players. I think those offers are going to stand up in many cases to better than what they're going to get in the open market here as free agents. And there's nothing to be ashamed of with that. It's his responsibility to build a winner. And as long as he gets the money from ownership to put towards the major league payroll, he's doing a lot of good things in building up and reinforcing the next generation of Cubs talent. So I'm, I'm looking at it like, you know what, this is the beginning of 
what is coming next for him. There's somebody on that roster who's going to be on the next Cubs playoff team. There's multiple players, in fact, on that roster that I think is going to be on the next Cubs playoff team. And there are still some World Series heroes. We're not going to see Hendricks pitching. Uh, we do get to see Jake on Thursday if he's still in the rotation. We will see Wilson and some of the other guys. But um, there is definitely some things turning here. And it's kind of cool, I guess, to be at the beginning of it. Like a phoenix, Randall, rising out of the ashes of this horrible trade deadline. Jeremy, you and I are going to be there for the beginning of a new era. It'll it's feel like, a- like- 2013 all over again. Oh, it's God. Like a, it's like a Denver. It's like a Denver riding out, rising out of the ashes instead of a Phoenix. Hey, I'd rather feel like 2012 than 2010 or 2011. That's right. That's right. Jeremy, get some water in you. It's hot out here. It's going to be very, very hot the next couple of days. The air quality in Denver today was absolutely horrific. I'm very eager to see how that is tomorrow. And I'm, I'm curious what you observe, Jeremy. You're, you're a man of the skies. You're often up in the air. When you come in and land and you're like, where are the mountains? There's just this white wall out there of, of fog. Uh, it's not fog, it's smoke. Um, but we'll have a good time out at the ballpark. And we've got some elk on the menu and, and so many other good things to eat as well. So we'll have some fun. BTYL Podcast is the Twitter account. Give us a follow. We'll take you on a tour of Coors Field this week. Um, next time on the show, we are going to pay tribute to a couple of greats who wore number 31. We're also going to get back on track with this major league team, but we thought it was appropriate to pop in here and look at the farm. For Jeremy Spector and Randall Leaky Frontside Jay Sanders, this is Ronan O'Shea. We'll catch you next time on Behind the Yellow Line.